0: Well, good evening. Welcome to the worship of our great God here at Redeemer OPC. If you're visiting with us tonight, we're so glad that you're here, and we hope that you uh, experience the welcome of Christ uh, as you interact with uh, one another, but also as as we meet with uh, the triune God during this worship service. A couple of announcements as we get started. First, next Sunday, we will have a mission visit, Uh after the evening service uh, from Sarah Heaton, who is the women's chaplain at Reach the Forgotten. Uh, So please plan on sticking around uh, for that to hear about this wonderful ministry that's doing a lot of good work in the jails. Uh, So that's next Sunday evening. And then we are having a Thanksgiving Eve service. Uh, Please be sure to mark your calendars for that and invite your friends and and family. Uh, That's a a wonderful time that we can be uh, sharing uh, testimony of of the many things that God has done in our lives over this past year, but also in our lives. Uh, so please be thinking of that and 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 consider uh, coming. That again, uh, just really looking forward to fellowshipping and and worshiping our God there. And then following the Saturday following, uh, you'll note deck the halls. Uh, we are in need of of folks to come and help set up uh, for uh, Christmas season. Uh, so if you uh and please note it said you do not need talent uh you just need to be here so uh i think that that hits all of us so that's good uh so please be sure to to mark your calendars if you're able to attend that maybe give uh, shane hansen a call and let him that you, let him know that you're, you're planning to be there uh, but those are all my announcements let's take a moment now and worship our god mm-hmm. Our God invites us into his worship this evening with Psalm 89 and it's there God reminds us of who he is uh, that he is so utterly unlike anyone we know in our lives for he is perfectly faithful he is at all times constant in his love and his care for us he never fails us he's always good and cares for us and so this is the God who invites us into his worship. We read there, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. Let's stand and sing to this God. Great is thy faithfulness. go to our God in prayer. O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty to save as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The heavens are yours. The earth is also yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Your mighty arm, your strong hand. Lord, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And Lord, we thank you that we can recount the mercies that we have seen this day. And all the days of our lives, Lord, that you have made them known to us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with joy and in our praise of you, Lord, that we would delight in hearing your word. Lord, that this whole service would be one of us glorifying and enjoying you today. Lord, we thank you that you have made us for yourself, but you have, you have remade us, Lord, that we, could, that we could be in communion with you and, and that you delight in us even now. Father, we thank you for the perfect work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, Lord, our great substitute, That we could praise you this evening and that by your spirit you you uphold us and strengthen us. You give us life, Lord, and you, you grow us after your son. So, Lord, please continue to guide us this evening as we come to praise you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to sing with We Will Feast in the House of Zion.
1: This evening we have the opportunity to pray for the OPC Worldwide Outreach, and I'm just going to give a brief overview for those of you who are not familiar with that. So the the OPC uh, supports a number of different um, committees or or groups within our denomination that are organized under the heading of the Worldwide Outreach, and uh, these are the Foreign Mission, the Home Mission, and Church Extension, and Christian Education. there's a number of of, uh, things within those that those committees organize that some of us may be familiar with. So the website of the OPC is one that's included in this group. Uh, The New Horizons magazine, short-term missions opportunities, um, regional home missionaries, starting new churches within the United States, sending foreign missionaries, Sunday school materials, and a number of other things are all supported by uh, worldwide outreach so let's now bring this group um, before our Lord in prayer father in heaven we come to you this evening uh, thankful for the OPC worldwide outreach and all those that make it possible we thank you for the many many volunteers that are are all around the world uh, bringing your word the gospel to uh, many people including here in America and within our denomination working to improve educational opportunities for our churches and for those in our communities. Lord, we ask this evening specifically that you would grant more freedom for the Christians in Asia, that they may worship in peace. We pray for our our missionaries that are working with the growing Presbyterian church there, and pray for the men who are being trained to be officers. Thank you, God, for the faithfulness of the believers during these times of persecution. We pray also for Ben Hopp as he takes a new call to be a regional foreign missionary to Africa and Haiti in March of this coming year. We pray for the Hops as they relocate to a new area within Uganda as their home base. We pray for the, ha- the Haiti mission, the Hopp and Delphi's families as they go through this period of change. Thank you, Lord, for the spiritual growth in those training to be church leaders in the Port-au-Prince and other areas within Haiti. Lord, we pray also that more pastors and officers in the ERQ Reformed Church of Quebec for the spiritual and numerical growth of their churches. We pray for the minister, Ben Westerveld, as he seeks to train men in the Reformed and Presbyterian distinctives um, in the Theological Institute there. Lord, we pray also for Mark and Jenny Richline and Stephen and Catalina Payson laboring in Uruguay. We pray for the growth of a core group of their Bible study there, that you would be pleased to raise up um, new and more workers in this area, Lord. We also thank you for um, our our mit, our, mit, our missions ministry here in, at Redeemer. We thank you for those that volunteer to connect us with these opportunities throughout the world and in our country. We thank you for the work that they do in helping to educate us in this as well, Lord. We pray for all of the all of this in your Son's name. Amen. <laughs> Please stand now as we sing, Be Thou My Vision.
2: please join me in a prayer of thanksgiving Lord God we give you thanks that you are a vision that all we need can be found in you that whether we're brought low or whether we abound that we can find our hope and our contentment in you we give you thanks for giving us a day of rest a day in which we might come to your house to worship you thank you for the great love you showed us and send your son to die on the cross for our sins that instead of how we might instead be adopted as co-heirs of Jesus, give you thanks that even now he makes intercession for us up in heaven, praying beyond what we seek to ask. We thank you that because he's head of the church, that we unite here, not just because we have similar backgrounds or interests or happen to get along, but that our union is in Christ and that it's an unshakable union. Lord, we ask you to be as Pastor Jeff as he brings us your word tonight. I thank you for giving him and our other pastors the gifts to proclaim your word as you strengthen him as he preaches. give you thanks for our pastors, for our elders and our deacons for the time they spend uh, trying to lead your church. Be those of us who listen tonight, keep our minds from wandering, and give us your spirit to apply your message to our lives. Be the offering we're about to collect. Bless the gift and the giver alike, and give the deacons wisdom and love as they steward your funds. In your name we pray, amen.
3: Tonight we're turning our attention to the Seventh Commandment, as it's found explained in Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. But before we turn there, I want to read three questions and answers from our shorter catechism, 70, 71, and 72. Question 70 asks, what is the Seventh Commandment? And the answer is, the Seventh Commandment is, you shall not commit adultery. Question 71 asks, what is required in the Seventh Commandment? The answer, the seventh commandment, requires a preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. And question 72, what is forbidden in the seventh commandment? The answer, the seventh commandment forbids all unchaste thoughts, words, and actions. So that being true, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, and then I'll explain the seventh commandment as we have here Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 27, we read the Word of God where it says, "'You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members' Than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. This is the Word of God. Would you join me in prayer? Father, tonight we are going to talk about a difficult subject, but it is a subject that is not only unknown to you because you are Creator and you've made us. As human beings, heart, soul, mind, strength. So it's, unknown, it's not unknown to you. You know us well. You know everything about us. But it's also a particular area of human existence in which the effect of sin is very pronounced in our culture. Father, give me the ability to explain this passage in a way that is not only very clear, in a way that is very winsome, but also one that is respectful of the topic And we pray that you would help each one of us who hears, that we'd hear this as coming from our creator and our king and our redeemer, the one who desires for us to live in faithfulness to you, and the one who gives us everything necessary, not only to bear our sin, he bears our sins, but he also is able to restore us to fellowship with you and to change us for one degree of glory into another. We pray that you would do that by your word tonight. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I can remember very clearly about 20 years ago when I preached on this passage for the first time. I was in my first call, and it was a small country church of about 100 members, and on that particular day, a young man who had come to faith in that congregation invited his parents to come, neither of whom were believers. And I turned to this passage in Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 30, and I said, tonight, Actually, it was in the morning at that point. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about human sexuality and what the Bible says about it. And the substance of what I said, I'm going to tell you tonight, it's a modified version, but it's essentially the same substance. And afterward, the man greeted me at the door in the back, and he said, I will never come to your church again. He said, the reason is that we should not talk about sexuality sexuality in the church. I am of a very firm conviction the opposite is true. And wanting to be very careful and respectful of human sexuality is something that God intends for us to preserve very carefully in private. The topic itself is one that is before us for three reasons. The most obvious is that it is addressed by one of the commandments of God. Of all the things that God desires, the big ten things that God says reflects his character and helps us to walk in faithfulness after him, the seventh commandment, which says you shall not commit adultery, is one of those ten. The second reason is that Jesus explains it more thoroughly here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verses 27 through 30. And he does so, if you would read the context, first of all, to his disciples But then listening were crowds which would have included men, women, and children, which makes it hardly a novel thing for me to explain this topic here in the presence of men, women, and children. And the third reason is a very pressing reason that many of us feel in our own hearts, homes, and communities, and that is within our culture, which struggles with various of the Ten Commandments to one degree or another. This particular topic, human sexuality, is one that our culture struggles with incredibly. To give you just a little bit of that, of all those who were surveyed by Barna and identified themselves as born-again Christian adults, a full third of them believe that to view something that was sexually explicit was not wrong. In fact, it was fine. The misuse of explicit material on the Internet was a significant factor In two out of every three divorces in the United States, according to the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers, and nine out of ten children between the ages of eight and 16 have viewed explicit material. That statistic is a bit old. It's probably much younger and more than that now. And so tonight, it bears very little It bears very little explanation beyond this about why we're talking about human sexuality tonight. What does Jesus say to us as his followers? This is not just a topic. It may be for some of us a topic that comes very, very close to our hearts. And there are two things I want to explain to you from Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 through 30 about human sexuality. The first is understanding what Jesus means by sexual impurity. What does Jesus mean by sexual impurity? That verse in verses 27 and 28. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The first thing to understand is what Jesus means when he says, you shall not commit adultery. You've heard that you should not commit adultery. It's not a mystery to us why people would have heard that. We read it earlier, and we would find it in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Verse 27 gives us the most explicit and the most obvious violation of the seventh commandment when it says we should not commit adultery. That refers to someone who is married having intimate relations with someone they are not married to. And just like the fifth commandment says you shall obey your parents, honor your parents in the Lord, and it is representative of all authority, so also in the seventh commandment you shall not commit adultery, is meant to be the most concrete and clear example of a whole class of sins. Jesus makes that clear, but the Bible does as well in other places. For example, in Leviticus chapter 18, general infidelity in marriage is forbidden along with other sins like incest, homosexuality, and bestiality. So that the Old Testament Israelites would never have been in a position of thinking that only adultery itself was condemned by the seventh commandment. Instead, the way that the Old Testament explains the seventh commandment is by saying that any form of sexual sexual intimacy outside of marriage is wrong any form of sexual intimacy outside of marriage is wrong. That is confirmed in the New Testament. Galatians 5 verse 19 says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, orgies, and things like this. Ephesians 5 verse 3 says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking. There is the sin, and then there are all the sins that come under it. So that I can say with confidence tonight, when the seventh commandment says you shall not commit adultery, it is not referring only to the misuse of sexual relations with a married person and someone outside of that marriage that example is used to refer to a whole class of sins that would violate the relationship between a husband and wife in marriage in which sexual relations are not only allowed, but they are commended. And Jesus now in Matthew 5 extends what is condemned by the Old Testament to the very intent of our heart. In verse 28, Jesus says, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus goes from the action and the kinds of action that are visible, apparent, those things that you could identify externally to the very heart of our being. That is the intention that leads to sexual immorality. He says what starts in your heart is wrong, and it is what is in your heart first that gives rise to the action. Now, you should know, of course, as some of you do, and I'll be brief about that, that the Pharisees who would have been listening to this were not so quick to affirm that what Jesus was saying was true. They were, like all legalists, primarily concerned about external behavior. So as long as you follow the commandments in your behavior, it mattered very little where your heart was. That is not the Christian religion. The Christian religion comes from the inside out. It's the intention of the heart that leads to action. You can have all the right actions, but if your heart is not a heart that loves and is in submission to Jesus Christ, you are not a believer in Christ. And the same dynamic is clear when it comes to the commandments. Even though we might pride ourselves on never having committed adultery, or we can name the sins that we say, well, I don't do that sin or that sin, you must ask yourself, according to Jesus, about your very heart. Is there a lustful intention in your heart? And I would just press this to say that every time that sexual sin is rooted out and is really combated... It must begin with the tendency of your heart. The things that matter most to you will become clear in the words and the actions that you say and do. First Samuel 16:7 says for the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on what? He looks on the heart. So let me ask you again, when Jesus says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her, do you find this to be true? That even if others would say, oh, you are such a nice person, I would never imagine you struggling with lustful thoughts. Perhaps you struggle with some of the very things that the commandment says and the catechism explains as immoral. Repent of those. Those are wrong. Those actions, those words, those things that you do, they're wrong. They violate God's commandment. But don't stop there. Do you understand that you are guilty before God if lust is found in your heart? If you check out that person as he or she walks past you. If you look for things that you should not look for on the internet. If you have a relationship with a coworker that's a little too close. In other words, a commandment is not satisfied by simply restraining from action. No, Jesus says it goes to the heart. And it is from there, the heart, that the problem comes arises. So what is adultery? It is a whole class of sins that are covered under this most clear example. Any sort of sexual immorality, any kind of sexual contact that happens outside of marriage, God says is wrong. What is wrong? Not only the action, but even the intention of our hearts is condemned by God. But I want you to see also in these verses why it is so serious. Why is this sin so serious? It is because this sin does a great deal of harm. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 and following, Paul says the following words, "'Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? "'Shall I then take the members of Christ "'and make them members of a prostitute?' Never, he says. Or or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The first person that sexual immorality harms is yourself. You are harming yourself. Paul says this sin is against your own body in this portion of Scripture. It violates not only someone else, it violates yourself. You harm yourself with this sin. Secondly, it harms if you're married your spouse. If you're married, it violates the two shall become one flesh principle. How? Your selfishness will keep you from trying to satisfy your spouse. You will not give, you'll be looking to get. You want more and more for yourself. Not using human sexuality as a means to please others and ultimately to please God, you will attempt only to use it for your own gain. Third, it harms others generally. We might think explicit images and videos is about harmless activity. In fact, it is about domination and harm. I had originally in the sermon a whole bunch of statistics that I could give you about the harm that is done through explicit material on the internet and through human sexual trafficking. I'm not going to relay those to you. They're very easy to find. Believe me, they are there. But we have the example of how our own misuse of sexuality can harm other, others. In an Old Testament passage, in 2 Samuel 13, verses 14 and 15, it's such an obscure passage in the Old Testament you might not even remember. It comes from the time of David and his son Amnon. It says, And Amnon had a great desire for his half-sister, And he fools her to coming to his room and when she resists him, it says, but he would not listen to her and being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred. So that he hated her with a hatred that was greater than the love which he had when he loved her. You think, how in the world is that possible? He took from her what he wanted. But the nature of sexual intimacy is that it's meant to build a bond. It's meant to develop a relationship. And when it is not used that way, it doesn't lead to closeness. It leads to estrangement and harm. Sexual impurity harms others. And fourthly, and most significantly, It harms your relationship with your Creator, with your God. Again, Paul says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Sexual immorality is a great testimony that I'm my own person. I do what I want. My body does not belong to me, uh, does not belong to God. It belongs to me. I will do with it as I want and take what I will. And to do so is an affront to God. It is to say to him, both as creator and a redeemer, you have no right over me. Sexual immorality harms yourself. It, helps your, it harms your spouse if you're married. It harms those around you. And it harms your relationship with God. Which brings me to the second main portion of this passage. Not just sexual impurity explained, but a major section of this passage is dedicated to sexual immorality eliminated. Again, if you read these verses, verses 29 and following, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. These are extreme words. They're meant to strike us as extreme. And they're meant to answer the question, having heard the seriousness of sexual sin, what should I do if I struggle with it? And the answer I'm going to give you up front, and then I'll explain it as this, whatever it is that is necessary, whatever it is that is necessary, I'm not saying that you ought to disobey other commandments of God, but whatever it is, Within the confines of God's commandments, whatever is necessary for you to resist this sin, here's the charge Jesus gives us do it. Do it. The language, again, that Jesus uses here is meant to have dramatic effect. It does not mean that we will literally pull at an eyeball when we see something that makes us sin. It is not as though the removal of that eyeball changes our hearts or that if we were to cut off a hand, it would change our hearts. Rather, Jesus is saying, if you have a pattern in life in which you use your eyes or your hands to do things that are evil, change that pattern of life. Do not satisfy yourself by excusing your behavior and saying it's not a big deal, it doesn't really matter, it's my sin, I'll hold on to it. Jesus says, change it. And he says it with a seriousness He ends by saying that your whole body may not go into hell. There are not very many times in the scriptures where Jesus is that overt. But he is here. Persistent continuing in sexual impurity with no attempt to resist or fight against it puts you in a very, very, precarious place galatians 5 21 says that those who persist in sin including sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of god if you have no desire my friend to turn from your sin if your sexual sin is more precious to you than god then i must tell you tonight and warn you as clearly as i can you are in deep 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 trouble do you know what you're doing have you thought about it does it matter to you jesus says this evening to take the necessary measure to avoid those situations in which you would be tempted change your pattern of life even if it means radical steps Involving someone else in your life who can disciple you. Be open with someone that you can trust. Do not hide it. Be as radical as if you are pulling out your very eyes or cutting off your hands. Be that radical in pursuing a change of life. Lest you reach the end of your life and your real God is discovered on the day you stand before your creator. That sexual sin explained, and God's call to you to eliminate that sin. But there's one more thing I want to tell you tonight, and that is that I need to tell you about the hope of the gospel. It'd be one thing to tell you tonight that you should just resist sin, and I've told you that. And the Bible is serious in telling you that. But I also want you to hear that your Savior is willing to deliver you. Perhaps the reason you've struggled with your sin for such a long time, whether it's this one or another one, is that you say to yourself over and over, I will get to a point where I will change. I will do it on my own. That heart of pride that wants to be the sole solution is the same heart of pride that persists in the sin. In other words, until your heart is willing to do more than depend on yourself, you will not change. Instead, you must be willing to say it is not me who is able to do what is necessary to change. I need the help of another. I need the help of Christ himself by his spirit and those within the church of Jesus Christ as he brings them to me to help me. That is how I will change. It is not the sort of sin where I would simply say to you, go home and stop doing what is wrong. Instead, I commend to you the promise of Jesus Christ that he is a grace sufficient not only to forgive you for every sin that you've ever done, but he is a sanctifying grace that he will apply to you as you reach out to him. And he applies that grace to you through his word, his spirit in the church of Jesus Christ. The writer of Proverbs at the beginning of the book has a great burden in this conversation between a father and a son where the father says to the son, be careful of falling into sexual immorality. It will destroy you, he says to the young man. What I want to commend to you is not only the words that the writer of the Proverbs says, I want to commend to you the dynamic. These words are said from a spiritual father to a spiritual son, a father guiding, helping his son. If you are a father, speak to your sons. Do not pretend like this matters for everyone else, but your family, your children would never, ever consider this sort of thing. Do not fool yourself. If you've not asked your children, you're committing parental negligence. If you don't have good conversations in your home in the appropriate place with the appropriate time, not giggling and acting like it's silly, but a serious conversation about human sexuality in your home, you are also violating the seventh commandment because you're pretending as though something which is such a common problem in our world would never exist in your home, with your children, in your family, with your spouse. Jesus calls you tonight to not only hear the seriousness of this sin, but to embrace the hope that he gives in his sanctifying grace. Please, please do. And then there's one final thing I have to tell you about this commandment. Jesus has a sanctifying grace, but Jesus himself has a grace which can liberate you from this sin. He does. And I want to explain that in a way that may seem a touch strange to you at first. You know, of course, that Jesus himself was never married. Jesus himself was never sexually intimate with a woman. And it may seem strange to you that the commandment, do not commit adultery, would apply and Jesus would perfectly fulfill the requirement of that commandment. Even though he was never married, he had no children, he lived all of his earthly life single. Why is that the case? Why wasn't Jesus married? It seems to me the very clear reason, at least one very clear reason why that is true is that it helps us understand the really horrible lie that is whispered to us by the evil one about all sin, but especially sins against the seventh commandment. So many of our sins against the seventh commandment come from a heart that says, I need this in order to be whole. In order for me to be a full person, I need this. I'm not getting what I want. I need more and more and more and more so that we begin to take for ourselves something that we hope will fulfill us, and it never does. That heart of wanting more and more, telling ourselves the lie, we cannot be complete without it. Jesus was complete without it. Which means his identity was first in fully as a son of God. And I can also tell you tonight that is true for every single one of you. As much as this sin can really grab hold of the human heart, the Jesus Himself, who completely filled this, fulfilled the seventh commandment, who gives us the liberating news that we do not need to be slaves, offers tonight to you this truth. He will give you the grace to cover every sin. He will give you his sanctifying grace that you can walk in faithfulness before him. And he gives you the truth that you never, ever need to be defined by the sin that he condemns. May you go here tonight, convicted in those places in which you need that conviction, but under the grace of Jesus Christ as you turn to Him in hope. Let's pray. However, Father, of course I do not know how this sermon affects the hearts of each person who is here and of those who are listening over the internet Perhaps some of us hear these words and we're strongly convicted because we can only imagine ourselves in those quiet, dark places doing things that are wrong. And we have told ourselves to lie over and over, this is the last time, I really deserve this, or if circumstances were different, I wouldn't be going here. But your Son, Jesus Christ, has given us the truth That we do not need a sin in order to be whole. In In order for us to find true fulfillment, we look to him and not simply to some part of this creation which we distort. Father, I pray that by your grace, you will work powerfully in the heart of every person who hears, whether we are young or old, male or female, Lord, that you would protect those who need to be protected, you convict those of us who need that conviction, and you would spread your sweet grace into the hearts of those who long to be free from that captivity of sin. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'm very thankful to stand and sing with you these beautiful words, He will keep you. this time of worship. But may you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.